When Adam asked me um, a while ago whether I will be prepared to share a few um, thoughts on a Sunday morning, the question that's, that's on the board, is life real? Or what is real life, was immediately on my heart. Um, and, and that has been sort of growing on my heart to talk about that. And then a strange thing happened over the last few weeks for those of you that have been in church. I mean, we've spoken about salvation, we've spoken about suffering, we've spoken about judgment. Um, and through all that time, I was thinking, oh, it's covered, it's covered. We've spoken about life. Uh, we've spoken about salvation. Um, and, and I thought, well, perhaps something else is then on the cards. But then the Holy Spirit really pressed it on my heart to say, I'm not done with this. I want to talk to people about what life is and um, what real life is. Um, and that we should spend some more time uh, doing that. And... Um, during worship this morning, I, I tell you, it, what an amazing time. Just so much of Almighty God in there. So much of eternity in there. So much of today's life in there. In terms of salvation and God's grace and mercy to us today here where we, where we live. What an amazing continuation of what the Lord is giving us as a church over the last few weeks. And uh, so consequently, I believe that is what we still need to do today is to dwell on that for a bit um, and see what's that about. So I'm going to do um, it looking at two um, pieces of scripture, the same story um, that we read about in both Matthew and Luke, uh, the wedding banquet or the great banquet as, as Luke um, talks about it, and pull a few things from that. Um, there are some scholars who suggest that these are this is the same story used by Jesus at two different occasions. Um, that's not what the Bible says, but it's an opinion, and I uh, think it's all right to have that opinion. Um, there's also a distinct difference when Matthew writes. Matthew, um, for the majority of what he writes about, he writes to believers and to disciples, and, uh, whereas Luke writes to the Gentiles. So that may be another reason why there's a slight variation in how the story is told, but, but many, many comparisons. So let's, let's go to Scripture and read what, what we see there. So first one from Matthew 22, verse 1 to 14. Jesus spoke to them again in parables, saying, The kingdom of heaven is like a king who prepared a wedding banquet for his son. He sent his servants to those who had been invited to the banquet to tell them to come, but they refused to come. Then he sent some more servants and said, Tell those who have been invited that I have prepared my dinner. My oxen and fattened cattle have been butchered and everything is ready. Come to the wedding banquet. But they paid no attention and went off, one to his field, another to his business. The rest seized his servants, mistreated them, killed them. The king was enraged. He sent his army and destroyed those murderers and burned their city. Then he said to his servants, the wedding banquet is ready, but those I invited did not deserve to come. So go to the street corners and invite to the banquet anyone you find. So the servants went out into the streets and gathered all the people they could find, the bad as well as the good, and the wedding hall was filled with guests. But when the king came in to see the guests, he noticed a man there who was not wearing wedding clothes. He asked, how did you get in here without wedding clothes, friend? And the man was speechless. And then the king told the tenants, tie him hand and foot and throw him outside into the darkness where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. For many are invited, but a few are chosen. So 
if we look at the, the same story with a slight few different nuances in Luke, let's read that as well together. Jesus replied, A certain man was preparing a great banquet and invited many guests. At the time of the banquet, he sent his servant to tell those who had been invited, Come, for everything is now ready. But they all alike began to make excuses. The first said, I have just bought a field, and I must go and see it. Please excuse me. At least, please excuse me, I guess. Another said, I've just bought five yoke of oxen, and I'm on my way to try them out. Please excuse me. Still another said, I just got married, so I can't come. The servant came back and reported this to the master. Then the owner of the house became angry and ordered his servants, go out quickly into the streets and alleys of the town and bring in the poor, the crippled, the blind, and the lame. So the servant said, what you ordered has been done, but there is still more room. Then the master told his servant, go out to the roads and the country lanes and compel them to come in so that my house will be full. I tell you, not one of those who were invited will get a taste of my banquet. Just a bit of a, when I read that story and I read about the person who didn't want to come because he just got mar married, um, I need to tell this, and Annalisa will do something at me afterwards, but on the day of our wedding um, reception, great day with family and friends um, as it is, uh, months went into preparing for it. So at the end of the day, as we're leaving the reception and getting in the car, Annalisa says, huh, now it's all over. I'm thinking, it's just beginning. Uh, <laughs> So, um, anyway, almost 25 years later, next month, uh, we're still very happily married, and uh, um, it, it wasn't the end, it was the beginning. Um, <laughs> I mean, there are very clear comparisons, obviously, through the story, the same story told, told by Jesus. There's a very clear invitation to, to a great all-stars event, but there's undeniably a requirement to respond, a requirement to prepare to go, and a requirement to go when called. And if we think about the, the time there, I mean, when, when a wedding or a banquet was announced um, in the time there, and the time of history there, people prepared. They had to get their clothes ready. They had to really prepare to go to that. So for someone that has gone through all of that effort, um, to prepare for the people to come and then for them to find other excuses is really devastating. Um, but in all of this, it's obviously Jesus telling us about his salvation and the opportunity for us yeah. to be with him in eternity. The great meal that's being prepared for us. But do we know what eternity really means? Do we think of heaven as an eternal church service where we sing forever? Or do we think about the perfect creation of Genesis 1? I think the relative comfort that we live in today is a, is a great um, limitation to our yeah. dedication and acceptance of the great commission that has been given to us. We spoke about it last week as well, but I, I think that um, Ian mentioned it, that the comforts that we experience in, in the West... Um, may make us enjoy life here just a bit too much. Mm. Dare I say that? Yeah. 
I mean, the suffering experienced by the persecuted church must leave them in a place where they think about eternally, eternity very differently. If we, and that's probably why, why Jesus said in Matthew 5, verse 20, Blessed are those who are persecuted because of righteousness, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. I think there are millions of believers around the world that really live in severe poverty. And for them, the, the prospect of eternity where the daily hardships will be gone must be very different. I think for people that live with a terminal illness or with a disability, the idea to have a completely restored body in eternity must put them in a very different space uh, than for the average of us. We read in Revelation 21 verse 3 to 4, And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Look, God's dwelling place is now among the people, and he will dwell with them. They will be his people, and God himself will be with them and be their God. He will wipe every tear from their eyes. There will be no more death or mourning or crying or pain, for the old order of things has passed away. I know that for every one of us here, we have our own challenges every day. Maybe the lack of Wi-Fi uh, or something else. Um, but I don't want to ignore that. I don't want to ignore the fact that we, that we have challenges as well in the day uh, where we live. But I do find it, and I, you have to forgive me for referring to my country of birth. I mean, you do, I do find it helpful to go back there from time to time. We're day-to-day -day living just to have other challenges. Uh, when we met, went back as a family for a short holiday in April 2018, I came back and someone asked me, so how was it to be back in South Africa? And, and I said to them, you know what? Life in Africa is real. We live in a very comfortable place in the first world. And sometimes that doesn't help us. Um, a friend of mine's father was, was terminally ill with cancer and in hospital. And in the last few weeks of his life, and one morning the doctor walked in, and I said to him, good morning, Johan, how are you today? And he said to the doctor, compared to who, doctor? And I just thought, what an amazing question to ask at that place in his life. So let us consider for the moment what the reality of heaven and hell really is. Last week's message, uh, Ian spoke to us about the judgment. Um, obviously not a popular topic, something that we probably uh, would want to avoid. And sometimes the judgment creates controversy um, when there's a distorted view of the character of God. I mean, God is love, but he hates evil and sin. And why wouldn't he? Evil and sin distorts and destroys everything that he created in perfection. So why are we scared to talk about hell? Are we worried to offend people about that message? If hell is not real... Would, would heaven then be real? Jesus actually teaches a lot about hell. Yeah. As a matter of fact, most of what we read in the Bible about eternity is when Jesus speaks um, in the Gospels. Um, judgment is real. Yeah. Hell is real. Jesus speaks a lot about eternal existence. Yeah. That's eternal life and eternal death. But also we need to remember that when he talks about it, he typically doesn't do that when he's doing evangelism. And neither does his apostles. So perhaps it's not the danger of hell that we need to dangle in front of non-believers to try to convince them to accept Jesus as Savior. 
I'm sometimes worried that that is almost um, like a parachute. Let me just take it in case I need it. I hope never to have to use it. But that's not too exciting, is it? So is there a way that we can talk to people and get them excited about eternity? About a time with an almighty God in a perfect recreated world? And I guess if we want to do that, we first need to be excited about eternity. So what is heaven for you? I mean, for many of us, obviously the book of Revelations is where we read the most about um, uh, eternity. But let's be honest, it's not the easiest piece of scripture to consume and to understand. But how much time do we really spend in studying what heaven is about, or what eternal life is about? I think it's one of the strategies of the enemy, actually. He's trying, I mean, Satan cannot say that there's no eternity. He cannot deny that. So his strategy is just to make it sound not too bad. Or I think mostly he's just saying there's enough time. Don't worry about it now. So if hell is not serious, then I guess heaven loses a bit of its uh, seriousness as well, or of its relevance. So ever since sin destroyed everything that God created and brought division between God and his creation, he has been working to restore that, um, everything that was lost. We see that throughout the ages. We see that written down in the Bible as, as we read how he continues to build a relationship uh, with the broken people, how he repeatedly tries to, to, to fight away sin in people's lives, how he comes in with attempts of correction, many times with devastating effects of, for the people who did not respond to the invitation to the banquet. All of the prophecies and teaching of Jesus urge us to prepare ourselves to be part of eternity, to be part of what God is restoring um, in creation. In the beginning, God wandered in the garden with Adam and Eve. Isn't that amazing? And then in the Old Testament, God is present amongst his people in the cloud, in the fire, in the temple. God is there. Then when Jesus is on earth, he's physically present amongst his people. And when he goes to prepare eternity for us, the Holy Spirit comes to be God with us. God's desire just to be with his creation, to be with us, his people. And then when Jesus comes, we will have that opportunity. When creation is restored, we again will live in the presence of God. He will dwell amongst us. We've just read that from the Revelation. Everything again will be created to perfection. We will work again, I guess, just not get tired. Because remember, there was work before the fall. Um, and I think sometimes for us, heaven and, and the way it's sometimes described may be too far away that we can really appreciate it. Um, when I read that there's a new heaven and a new earth coming, and when Jesus talks about that, I wonder whether it's not perhaps going to be much more like what we have, like what he originally created, just for us to enjoy the abundance of nature and of his presence, just in a world that is not destroyed and distorted by sin. But the Bible also says we don't know exactly what he has in store for us. The thing is, how do we get part? How do we become part of that? How do we take part in that? Faith, obviously. Believing in Jesus. But that faith is an active 
It is a gift of God, but the gift that can be rejected or can be accepted and responded to. Um, James wrote, writes to us that what good is it, my brothers and sisters, if someone claims to have faith but has no deeds, can such faith save them? As the body without the spirit is dead, so faith without deeds is dead. I think it's a bit of a shame, perhaps, I, I don't know the original languages that well, but the translation word uses the word deeds here and sometimes works, because it feels like it contradicts what Paul uh, writes to us about salvation. But it actually doesn't. It just says to us that to believe asks for action. It's our responsible response to what God has done for us. We cooperate with, not contribute to, our salvation. When we grab hold of Jesus as our Savior and keep hold, tightly keep hold of Him as we journey towards the time that He comes again to take us to eternity. We are saved from the penalty of sin through justification. We are being saved from the power of sin through our sanctification. And we will be saved from the presence of sin and the glorification when Jesus comes. Can I say that again? Yes. We have been saved from the penalty of sin through Jesus who died on the cross for us. And then the Holy Spirit comes and we are being saved from the power of sin on a daily basis as we allow the Holy Spirit to point out the things in our life that needs to change. On, on towards our journey where when Jesus comes, the presence of sin will disappear and in glorification we will live in a perfect world. That is exciting. So with Father, Son and the Holy Spirit for us, who can be against us? I guess only ourselves. By not responding to the invitation to attend the banquet. And we read that, that we're on that journey. If we go through a few other scripture verses. I and mean, we confess our sins, and he is faithful and just and will forgive us our sins and purify us from all righteousness. That is ongoing. That is what we continue to do every day, every day. Forgiveness is given to those who go on believing. Holiness is given to those who go on believing. In Philippians 1 verse 6, we read, He who began a good work in you will carry it on to completion until the day that Jesus comes. It continues. So then, no more boasting about human leaders or things. All things are yours, whether Paul or Apollos or Cephas or the world or life or death or the present or the future. All are yours and you are of Christ. And Christ is of God. Peter writes to us, His divine power has given us everything we need for a godly life. Through our knowledge of Him who called us by His own glory and goodness. We are invited to the banquet. In verse 10, Peter goes on to say, Therefore, my brothers and sisters, make every effort to confirm your calling and election. For if you do these things, you will never stumble. I mean, in the first version of the wedding banquet, we read about someone who was there who didn't have the right clothes on. Complex. Don't understand that. I have to admit but I understand that we are invited to take part in the journey towards attending the banquet. 
And that means that we are preparing ourselves. So how does that change our daily lives? What does that mean for us today? I mean, we have sung this morning. I mean, it was such a glorious moment. I mean, so I was, I mean, I, had, I literally had um, weeping and tears in my eyes this morning, just understanding the almighty God coming to us and, and reaching out to us and, and being with us, wanting us here. But do I really care about those that I work with? Do I really care about the people that I'm in contact with every day? Is my faith real? Or am I just enjoying to be part of a nice club of similarly weird-minded individuals gathering on a Sunday? <laughs> Let's be honest. For the majority of people in Seven Oaks, what we do here on a Sunday is simply strange. But is my faith real? Is my faith real? Is it wrong for me to think that I'm important? How important am I in my own life? I mean, Jesus taught us to love God with all our heart, all our mind, all our strength, and love our neighbor as we love ourselves. I hope we love ourselves. Do you love yourself? Do you love the creation that God has made and that you see today? But we also need to love our neighbor. And each one of us has a story to tell. Each one of us um, has an experience in life. I mean, for, for many of us to sit here, I invite you to just wander back in your own mind about your journey um, in life. For those of us here who believe in Jesus, there was a moment in your life when the reality of Jesus' existence became part of your life. And from that day, you have moments that you recall, can recall, of an experience of a relationship with Jesus Christ. Even if you have questions uh, about some of the things you read in the Bible, even if you disagree with what's preached from the front of the church, even if you don't have answers to all the questions of life and suffering and whatever else, no one can deny the moments of truth in your life and your relationship with Jesus Christ. As a family, we are privileged to have moments in our life where we can look back to as beacons of faith. And I really encourage you to write those things down, to have them there, or, or just tell them to people so often that you will never forget what and how it happened, how it happened. Because we've got moments of truth, your truth, that no one can deny. Moments of truth about your relationship with Jesus. And it's when we tell those stories that the world around us will feel the love of Jesus. It's long before you need to go and study theology to explain the Bible or explain Christianity to people. Your own authentic experience of a living relationship with Jesus Christ is what will touch the world with his love. Why would we not talk about such precious experiences? and not talk about it all the time. I mean, we love to share stories on social media about all the fun we experience. Um, why not talk about those moments of truth where Jesus has really walked into your life? I mean, I tell you, I mean, some of you have heard our story of returning to the UK. I mean, there are a few other stories. We're really blessed with how the Lord has, um, over the years, has guided us to make significant decisions as a family. But when you tell a story about 10 cent pieces and all those kind of things, I'm not going to repeat the story for sake of time, to non-believers, 
they are intrigued as to what does that mean? How do you have a relationship with the divine being when, when it becomes that real? Perhaps we are too scared about what people may think. I don't know. But where does our validation come from? Is it really from people? Or is it Jesus that gives us the identity uh, through his salvation? What does it mean to live unselfishly for the glory of God? What does it mean to live a life of commitment to our calling? I mean, as a church, we have a, a passion and a vision to do church bigger. And perhaps, um, perhaps it starts with being church bigger. We are excited about the Love Seven Oaks project um, that is happening in, um, in a few weeks' time. Uh, a project where we're going to go out and show love to our community, just show something uh, of our care to them. And my prayer is that we do that because we really love them. And that we don't do that just to tick another box or to just have another feather in my cap. Do we really love the people? that we reach out to around us. Will you still do it if you were invisible? <laughs> Will you still do it if no one gives recognition to it afterwards? Tell you a funny story. Years ago, we lived in Surbiton, Kingston, and next to us, there was an old lady um, who uh, uh, suffered from dementia. And um, that was really sad for us because she we often would hear her crying, and in conversation with her, you just realize that she is she's lonely, she didn't have many family members visiting, and because she's forgetful, she forgets where she's put things down, she forgets lots of things. Whenever I was out in the garden, because she was lonely, she would come out and have conversation with me, so we've had plenty of conversations. And then one day, as I was traveling back from work, I decided, ah, I think she deserves a bunch of flowers, I'll go and buy her some flowers as I pass through the station, which I did. Went up to her door and uh, knocked, and she opened, and she was so excited about getting the flowers, and we had a two, three-minute conversation and um, all kinds of things, and she suddenly said, oh, by the way, who are you? <laughs> and we concluded the conversation. I turned around, and I thought, you know what? Tomorrow she's going to look at the bunch of flowers, and she's not even potentially going to remember where it came from. Yeah. Nevertheless, who gave it to her? Yeah. Yeah. So did I buy her the flowers so that she would remember me? Or was it really an act of kindness? Yeah. Do we really care? Adam reminded us of the big task in Seven Oaks. How many people that we pass every day on our way to the station, traveling into London, on the pavements, in, as we do shopping, do we remember that nine out of ten people that we pass every day are facing eternal death? And does that change anything we do? Does it really touch us, or are we just rushing about, knowing that, all right, I've got my parachute, I'm fine? How serious are we about introducing the way, the truth, and the life? How real is heaven or hell to you? Do you really believe in everything that you read in the Bible about eternity? So what now? What do we do about it? I really felt that the Lord wanted us to say, this, I've got an amazing banquet ready for you. But we're on our way there. Perhaps we are the servants that need to go out and gather the people that need to come into, into that banquet. Let us be love to this world 24-7.
I want to challenge you today to decide at least two things you're going to do different this week. Let's just start small. Really, we don't have to save the world. Jesus has done that. He's calling us just to be part of what's happening around us. Let us connect Sunday with the rest of the week. Can you think about two people now that you will pray for every day this week? How about making Jesus part of what you do every day? How about inviting him into every meeting that you go to this week? Just a very short prayer as you step into a meeting to ask him for his guidance, for his words, for his insight. In your negotiation with the customer, as you, as you lead um, the children in the school, uh, your conversations with, um, with family members or with colleagues, how do we make Jesus just more part of what we do every day? I'm really challenged by and excited about what the Lord has imparted to us over the last few weeks, just bringing us to that place where he's continuing to remind us about the amazing salvation that is worked for us, but the call for us to prepare and to be part of the journey onto experiencing that. So can I repeat, who will you pray for this week? How will you love this week? Will Jesus be in every meeting and the conversation you have? Invite him into that. And let's do church bigger by being church bigger this week. Okay, let's pray. Father God, I want to thank you, Father, for all you have done for us. And I just simply pray that you help us to love like you love. In the name of Jesus. Amen.